It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Today is Friday, November 8th, 2019. On this day in 1954, 14-year-old Carolyn Wazalewski was murdered. Her body was found the following day with the name Paul written in lipstick on her thigh. To this day, no one knows for sure why her killer wrote his name or what role he may have played in Carolyn's murder. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today, we're covering the brutal, unsolved murder of 14-year-old Carolyn Wazalewski. Before we dive into the investigation, let's go back to Baltimore, Maryland, at approximately 6.15 p.m. on November 8, 1954. A chilly wind greeted Carolyn as she walked out of her house, She shivered and pulled her black scarf tighter around her neck. The ends dangled down and danced just above her dark skirt. As she started down the block, she could already feel goosebumps on her exposed skin. Carolyn turned back to grab her jacket, then reconsidered. She didn't plan on being out for long anyway, and she really didn't want to risk another conversation with her parents. She couldn't talk to them anymore because they didn't talk. They just nagged about her friends, her behavior, her life. Was it any wonder why she kept running away? Whenever she told them how she felt, they dismissed it as teenage angst. But she had good reason to be depressed. She could hardly go outside without being harassed by men. Carolyn turned onto the familiar route to the Southway, where she was meeting her friend, Peggy. She picked up the pace, trying to warm herself up. The exercise helped, and she started to smile as a group of boys from her school passed by on their bikes. They snickered back at her. One yelled back from the end of the street, calling her a good-for-nothing drape. There were the provocations, right on cue. Carolyn just kept her head down. No matter where she went, people called her a drape, a greaser, a delinquent, just because she liked to slick her hair and wear black clothes. Why couldn't she wear what she wanted without everyone else slapping a label on her? She kicked a loose rock into the sewer and listened to the echo as it fell. She wondered if anyone would notice if she disappeared like that. Would anyone be around to hear the echoes she left behind? It was hard to be optimistic these days. The week before, Carolyn was forced to testify in court against a disgusting man who took advantage of her friend. She could still remember the look on his face during their double date. 
If only Carolyn had said something before she let her friend ride home with him, maybe she could have stopped it. She hoped that creep got what he deserved. But even if he did, Carolyn knew nothing would really change. As soon as the trial ended, there were signs the adults around her wanted to forget the entire ordeal. Even right after the assault, some of them acted like it was no big deal. It was easy for them to pretend like it never happened. But Carolyn knew her friend would never be able to forget. Thinking about the trial made her shudder all the more. She crossed her arms and stuffed her hands into her armpits. Carolyn forced herself to look down and forward, just one foot in front of the other. She would get to the south way soon. Then she would feel better. How many more steps? Probably hundreds. She started to count, then tried humming a song to herself. Nothing distracted her from the feeling that people were watching her, even though she was certain she was all alone on the street. Somehow, the loneliness made it worse. Where was everybody? It wasn't that late, but none of the houses around her had their lights on. Every street lamp hit her like a spotlight in the night. She felt like she was playing to an audience hidden just out of sight, somewhere in the shadows. She told herself to relax, but her heart pounded in her ears. Carolyn tried to convince herself she was just being paranoid. By now, she was only a block away from the Southway. Maybe she should just run the rest of the way. But then she would have to explain herself to Peggy. She went back to counting steps. 121, 122. She had almost calmed down when she heard another set of footsteps behind her. At first, she decided not to turn around. She didn't want to seem weird, and she knew what it was like to be stared at. But then the steps grew closer. They were moving fast. Carolyn turned around just as the pursuer caught up to her. The blood drained from her face as she realized who it was. They had been watching her all along. Coming up, police investigate the murder of Carolyn Wazalewski. Now, back to the story. On November 8, 1954, 14-year-old Carolyn Wazalewski was abducted and murdered on her way to meet a friend near her home in Baltimore, Maryland. Carolyn had a history of running away, and initially, her parents believed she had done so again when she didn't return that night. They worried she had gone off with a friend or possibly eloped with a boyfriend. Carolyn had gone out with several older men before. They had taken advantage of her and even physically abused her. After their daughter had been missing for three hours, Carolyn's parents went out to look for her. They started driving around town, but their search was interrupted by an air raid siren. The Cold War was in full swing by 1954, and air raid drills were common in big cities throughout the U.S. Carolyn's parents were required to pull over and find shelter as soon as they heard the blaring alarm. This delayed their search, and even worse, it meant that no one else was on the streets to notice Carolyn or her captor. After the air raid drill, 
the Wazalewskis continued their search to no avail. They hoped Carolyn was out with a friend and would return home soon. In the past, she had always come back, though sometimes it had taken a few weeks. Unfortunately, Carolyn's parents couldn't cling to hope for long. The following morning, November 9, 1954, Carolyn's badly beaten body was found in a rail yard. Her T-shirt and bra were pulled up around her neck, and one of her fingers was broken. There were no signs of sexual assault, but her skirt was missing. Most baffling, someone wrote the name Paul on her thigh with lipstick. Based on the evidence at the scene, they suspected she had been killed in a different location around 11 p.m. on November 8th and was dumped in the train yard post-mortem. An autopsy determined that Carolyn died of blunt force trauma to her skull. The Wazalewskis identified the body on the night of the 9th. Carolyn's father, Stanley, was so distraught by the sight of her that he reportedly fainted in the morgue. He wasn't the only one shocked by the violence. The entire town of Baltimore was disturbed by the murder of such a young girl. For the next two weeks, the media covered the story relentlessly. Police interviewed anyone who knew Carolyn. Most of their prime suspects were her older boyfriends. Among them was a 20-year-old man named Paul. Carolyn and Paul had recently broken up, and she took the split hard. It made Paul the obvious prime suspect, but he was far from the only predatory man in her life. There was also Frankie, a 30-year-old bus driver who had gone on a bad date with Carolyn, and Johnny, also aged 30, who had dated Carolyn recently. All three men were possible candidates in the eyes of the police, but they were never able to gather the necessary evidence against any one of them. The tragedy of Carolyn Wazalewski's murder remains a local legend in Baltimore nearly half a century later. Allegedly, her mysterious death was the loose inspiration for Crybaby, the John Waters film starring Johnny Depp. According to one Baltimore detective, the station still occasionally gets calls about Carolyn on the anniversary of her death. Though her killer was never brought to justice, her tragic memory reminds us that it isn't delinquent children, but rather abusive adults who pose the greater threat. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more information on Carolyn Wazalewski, check out our episodes of Unsolved Murders that delve deeper into the investigation. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals like Today in True Crime for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. 
At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Joel Stein, Maggie Admire, and Travis Clark. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Terrell Wells. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 